December 9, 1965, was a quiet, chilly evening in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. In his yard, 40-year-old Bill Buellbush tinkered with his car's radio. Dinner time neared, and soon he'd have to call it a night. But before he headed inside, a strange sizzling sound caught his attention. He rolled down the window to listen and nearly gagged. An overwhelming scent of sulfur and rotten eggs filled the air. What on earth was going on? He got out of the car and saw nothing, but the smell was everywhere. Whatever it was, the odor was getting stronger. And the sizzling sound was louder. That's when Bill realized the noise was coming from above. He tilted his head up and saw a crackling fireball streak across the night sky. His jaw dropped. He'd never seen a meteor quite like this. Suddenly, it did something weird. The flaming object turned around like someone controlled it and headed straight for Kecksburg. And as Bill got a better look, he wondered if this might not be a meteor at all, but something stranger, like a foreign spy aircraft, or maybe a UFO. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our first and only episode on the Kecksburg UFO incident. In 1965, hundreds of people witnessed a ball of fire streaking across the sky and crashing in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. In this episode, we'll dig into the truth behind the mysterious object, We'll explore what it might have been, how the U.S. government whisked it away, and why exactly they wanted to cover it up. Then, we'll join an intrepid reporter's hunt for answers decades later. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some... The gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Just after sunset on December 9, 1965, Bill Buellbush watched in awe as a fireball hurtled through the sky and disappeared into the woods. Curiosity got the better of him. It's not every day you see something like that, especially in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. So Bill got back in his car, turned off the radio he hadn't quite fixed, and went to check it out. He drove as far as possible, then continued on foot. He trekked about a quarter mile into the woods in the dark. That's when he saw it. A 10-foot-long, acorn-shaped glowing object with strange writing on its side. Bill may not have considered himself a scholar, but he thought the symbols looked like Egyptian hieroglyphics. He took a step closer for a better look, but as he did, the object sparked and Bill jumped back. Suddenly, he heard unfamiliar voices coming from the trees behind him. Alarmed, he turned around and ran back to his car. When he made it home, Bill told his wife what he'd seen. He went on and on about the mysterious object until finally she waved him off. He was talking nonsense. He needed to stop and go to bed. But Bill was convinced he'd seen something strange out there. Something otherworldly. And he wasn't alone. That night, hundreds of people across Canada, Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania had all seen the same fiery object shoot across the sky. Most wrote it off as a meteor, but a few wondered if it could be something else entirely. Two local Kecksburg children, Nevin and Nadine Kalp, thought it was a star on fire. When they saw it crash into the woods, they ran to tell their mother, Frances. Frances might not have believed her children, but afterwards she heard a radio broadcast suggest that an aircraft had crashed in the area. Fearing someone might be hurt, she took the kids to see if they could help. They didn't make it all the way to the object. When Frances reached the top of a ravine, she saw smoke rising from below. She realized she couldn't offer much assistance herself. So she and the kids went back home, where she contacted the authorities with directions to the crash site. 18-year-old James Romanski was one of those called in to help. James was a volunteer firefighter whose crew assisted the Kecksburg Fire Department in its search of the wreckage. Once the group got their orders, they headed into the forest. They surveyed the dark woods until a message came over the radio. Another team of firefighters had found the crash site. They shared the coordinates and the volunteer crew hurried over. When James arrived at the scene, he was shocked by what he saw. This was no downed plane or helicopter. What was in the woods was something else entirely. His description of the object echoed that of Bill Buellbush. It was about 10 feet long, acorn-shaped with hieroglyphics on it. It resembled a perfectly sculpted rock, 
smooth all over with a shiny bronze tint. James had never seen anything quite like it. For the next 15 minutes or so, James and his crew tried to figure out what exactly they were dealing with. But they were just volunteer firefighters. There was no protocol for handling unidentified objects. Suddenly, a new group arrived on the scene. It was the military, and they clearly had a plan. James even spotted some of them holding Geiger counters. We've talked about Geiger counters on the show before. Essentially, they measure radiation. But when people see them, they often assume they're for something far stranger, like detecting ghosts or perhaps aliens. At that moment, James wasn't sure what he thought. But the Geiger counters planted a seed. Maybe the crashed object wasn't of this world. What if it was evidence of extraterrestrial life? The officials told the firefighters to clear out. The military would be taking control of the scene. Later, when James returned to the firehouse, the place was swarming with Army and Air Force personnel. They'd started using it as their base of operations. Whispers spread that these men had come from Washington, D.C. NASA might even be involved, though no one was sure how exactly. But it made one thing clear to James. Whatever was in the woods was a big deal. So even though he was off-duty, James hung around. He couldn't leave without answers. When he didn't get any at the station, he eventually went back to the crash site to figure it out for himself. But he wasn't the only curious person. Large crowds of both civilians and local news reporters had gathered around the object. Unfortunately, James couldn't get very close. But at one point, he saw a military convoy head down the ravine. Not long after, it drove out of the woods. One of the truck beds was covered up, concealed from prying eyes. But that didn't matter. James knew the mysterious object was in there. According to paranormal writer George Dudding, author of The Kecksburg UFO Incident, from that point on, the U.S. government did everything in their power to control the narrative. After cordoning off the area, the military apparently told the media that there had been nothing there in the first place. Obviously, that didn't align with what residents had witnessed. But according to several sources, military officials threatened or even intimidated anyone who questioned them. In one instance, they supposedly stopped an investigative radio broadcast by getting witnesses to withdraw from the show. But aside from the occasional rogue reporter, most people fell in line. That included local authorities. The fire chief claimed there was nothing about the crash worth reporting. As for the rest of the firefighters, most of them kept quiet and didn't contradict their chief's story. They didn't want to end up on the wrong side of him or the U.S. government. Still, James held tight to his memory. Something strange had happened in Kecksburg. He'd seen it with his own eyes, and the fact that the government was covering it up proved that. But the question remained, what was it? And why was it so special it had to be kept secret? Decades later, someone would investigate just that. 
Coming up, a New York journalist enters the fray. In a world of deep fake technology, fake news, and revisionist history, how do we know the difference between what's official and what's just fishy? That's where we come in. Hi, it's Molly and Carter from the Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, we examine the most controversial events in history, because maybe there's so much more to the truth than we've been led to believe. From the mysteries of outer space to the secrets, lies, and possible cover-ups occurring right under our noses, we explore every angle in search of the actual truth. We're not skeptics or theorists. We're curious, rigorous, and in the end, we let you decide. Catch new episodes of Conspiracy Theories each week. Follow and listen for free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. On December 9, 1965, after numerous witnesses saw a strange flying object crash into Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, the military showed up to shut down the scene. Not long after that, the object disappeared. No one seems to know what happened to it. In fact, the military seemed to insist there was nothing there. But James Romansky, a volunteer firefighter who'd seen the object up close, had a hunch. He believed he'd spotted a military convoy drive away with the object. James had no idea where it went from there, but according to other sources, it was headed to a military base. Apparently, the truck drove nearly 300 miles through the night to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. When it arrived, the vehicle was guarded by a team of Air Force security officers, but they never actually saw what was hidden in the truck. Despite that, one officer named Michael Rambacker allegedly believed the secret object was not of this world. Which begged the question, if it wasn't of this world, then which one? While the object remained at the base, two civilians known only as Myron and JS made a special delivery. According to author George Dudding, the men were employed by a brick manufacturing company. So as you might imagine, they arrived on the premises with a load of bricks. Neither man knew what exactly their delivery was for, but that didn't matter. Their instructions were simple. Unload the bricks next to an unmarked building. It should have been an easy enough job, in and out. But as they got to work, Myron and J.S. couldn't help but notice something odd. There, on the back of a parked flatbed truck, was a large acorn-shaped object. When they returned with the next round of bricks, the truck's bed was empty. Curiosity got the better of Myron. He went and peeked into the building's window. 
Inside, he could just make out the object, surrounded by a crowd of military officials. It looked like they were trying to cut into it, but their attempts were unsuccessful. As Myron watched, he realized that the military was using the bricks to build a wall around the object, possibly to protect the workers from radiation. That wasn't even the most interesting detail. After observing for a few more minutes, Myron thought he saw a body. It was covered up by a sheet, but a hand stuck out. And according to Myron, it wasn't human. Or at least it didn't look like any human he'd ever seen. If he didn't know any better, he'd say it was an alien. It wasn't long before someone caught sight of him spying and told Myron to leave. The building was off limits. Turning away was the last thing he wanted to do, but he had no choice. He and J.S. returned to work and never saw the object or the creature again. Now, no one else ever confirmed what Myron saw that day. But if we believe his account, that means the military did find something in the woods that night. And if it held a body, maybe it wasn't just a rock or ordinary object, but a spacecraft. NASA, however, had other explanations. A week or two later, NASA published a press release admitting there had been something at the crash site, but they denied it was any sort of spacecraft. Instead, they assured the public it had, in fact, been a meteor. This may have convinced the broader population, but there were eyewitnesses who saw the object, and none of them had ever heard of a meteor that was perfectly smooth, bronze, and acorn-shaped. Of course, those witnesses could be discredited, and many attempts were made to do so. Firefighter James Romansky had a criminal record, which people pointed to as proof he was untrustworthy. Others wondered why Bill Buellbush, the first man on the scene, ran away instead of talking to whoever else arrived at the crash. Some concluded that maybe Bill made up what he saw, simply to insert himself into the story. After all, no one else could verify he was actually there. Then there was Michael Rambacker, the Air Force security officer who allegedly thought the object looked otherworldly. As it so happened, he soon turned into a UFO investigator. However, according to one report, he later admitted that he never actually saw the object himself. It's not clear if Michael spoke to another guard who'd seen the object or how his account lined up so much with the others, but it did. As far as we know, James, Bill, and Michael didn't know each other. So if none of the men had actually seen the object, how were their descriptions so similar? That question consumed the discourse around Kecksburg for decades. And for anyone with even a passing interest in UFOs, the entire incident became an obsession. In an article for the Pennsylvania Center for the Book, writer Matthew Dinkel said many researchers think Kecksburg is, quote, one of the most compelling cases for extraterrestrial existence in U.S. history. Several factors play into why. For one, there were the multiple, consistent witness accounts we just discussed. 
There was also the fact that several people, like Bill Buellbush, saw the object turn around midair. It was hard to explain how that aligned with the meteor's behavior. Pair that with the even stranger claims, like Myron's belief that he saw an alien's body. And it's clear why Kecksburg became the home of a favorite UFO theory. The town's fame earned it a new nickname, the Roswell of Pennsylvania. Some locals embraced the notoriety and celebrated with parades in honor of the possible UFO sighting. Others grumbled that their home had been ruined by a conspiracy theory. For the next few decades, residents continued debating over what happened that night. These discussions weren't always friendly. Depending on their stance, some folks refused to speak to one another anymore. Regardless, no one was any closer to getting answers. Whether it was a UFO or just a meteor like NASA claimed, the mystery remained. Why was the government being so secretive? For decades, no one got any closer to an answer, and the debate raged on, splitting the town in two. Fast forward to 2002, nearly 40 years after the crash and half a country away. Television producer Larry Landsman was scouting a new show for his TV network, the Sci-Fi Channel. Sci-Fi had had recent success with other paranormal docuseries, and Larry hoped to find the next big idea. He figured there was nothing like a good UFO special to drive up ratings. After all, his audiences loved UFO sightings. So Larry's team looked into a series of possible subjects. And of course, they stumbled across the so-called Roswell of Pennsylvania. It seemed perfect. The incident was known, but not too well known. And the conspiracy theories surrounding it were still thriving. So it was decided the Kecksburg incident would get its own TV special. Larry wanted to dig deep and uncover the truth of what exactly crashed into Kecksburg. And if there was a government cover-up, he wanted to expose it. He knew he needed a heavy hitter to give the documentary some gravitas. So he turned to a New York journalist by the name of Leslie Kane. Leslie was interested in UFOs, but only for the facts. She wasn't a die-hard alien believer. In fact, she was agnostic about whether they existed at all. If she uncovered something that proved extraterrestrial life existed, she'd believe it then. However, Leslie did believe in the public's right to information, and Larry Landsman likely used that to his advantage. Producers told Leslie they wanted her to file a Freedom of Information Act request and report on its findings. NASA had kept the Kecksburg documents sealed from the public for decades. It was time to find out what they were hiding. If Leslie was up for the fight, the Sci-Fi Channel would sponsor her and give her all the support she needed. Leslie agreed. She submitted the Freedom of Information Act request for the documents as planned. But when NASA failed to hand anything over, Leslie then filed a lawsuit. As she believed, and as Larry said to the press, quote, there were too many lives that were upended from the Kecksburg event, and American citizens had and have the right to know the truth. 
And with that, the battle against the U.S. government officially commenced. Coming up, NASA fights to protect its secrets. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, back to the story. In 2003, after NASA failed to comply with the Freedom of Information Act, investigative journalist Leslie Kane filed a lawsuit against them. She hoped to find answers about the Kecksburg UFO incident and why the government had been so secretive about what crashed there in 1965. They clearly seemed to be hiding something, and Leslie was going to find out what. NASA, however, had other ideas. NASA continued to push back against Leslie's demands, refusing to hand over any significant files. It was no surprise. No one expected this to be an easy fight, but for the next several years, they continued to stonewall the lawsuit and tried to get it thrown out. However, before reaching a settlement, something unexpected happened. NASA reversed their findings. In a 2005 statement, they claimed it wasn't a meteor that crashed into Kecksburg, but a Russian satellite. The change was confusing, and what made this even stranger was what the organization did next. They sent out NASA's spokesperson, Dave Steets, who dropped a bombshell. While there might be a few documents that referred to this mysterious Russian satellite, most of the findings had somehow been misplaced. Leslie couldn't believe what she was hearing. How could a highly organized government agency just lose their records? It seemed convenient, to say the least, especially since now they had nothing to substantiate their new claims. Everyone just had to trust them. Obviously, Leslie found that suspicious. If she trusted what the government told the public, she'd never have taken on this fight in the first place. So she kept at it. Her lawyers filed another motion to expedite the Freedom of Information Act suit. NASA could make all the statements they wanted, but they still needed to hand over what they had, and they needed to do it soon. In the meantime, Leslie got to work on getting a second opinion on the Russian satellite claims. So she turned to a report by NASA's chief scientist for orbital debris, Nicholas Johnson. According to Associated Press reporter Joe Mandak, Johnson studied the orbital paths of every satellite on record from 1965 and said that none of them could have been the object that crashed at Kecksburg. Their trajectories simply didn't match up. Just to be clear, Johnson was one of NASA's scientists, 
And yet, according to this account, there he was, directly contradicting the institution's claims. According to him, his employer was wrong or lying. While Johnson never outright accused anyone of a cover-up, that type of conflicting statement added fuel to the ever-growing fire. But that wasn't all. A soil analysis at the site showed there was minimal damage to the area at the time of the event, which means that whatever crashed there, it was unlikely it collided with real force. It was almost as if it had landed there. In March 2007, NASA tried one last time to get Leslie's case thrown out. In October, the judge denied their request. Their time was up. They needed to hand over their files. Needless to say, NASA wasn't thrilled, but they had no choice. Later that year, they finally sent Leslie a box of documents. It was a moment of celebration, but only a temporary one. Though hundreds of pages of files were sent, none of them were actually about Kecksburg. They were simply tangential cases. Staying true to form, NASA had apparently lost all the documents specifically related to the incident. Still, Leslie went through every document just in case. She searched for anything that she could tie to Kecksburg. By August 2009, she published an official report on her findings titled The Conclusion of the NASA Lawsuit Concerning the Kecksburg, Pennsylvania UFO Case of 1965. Sadly, Leslie didn't find a smoking gun. And the fact that so many documents were still missing left a lot of unanswered questions. After publishing her paper, Leslie believed there was nothing more she could do. However, she told Space.com, quote, I am convinced that something came down and landed in Kecksburg. I would say it's either a UFO or a secret American device of some sort. If it was our own, why couldn't they tell us about this 40 years later? That was Leslie's biggest interest. She just wanted the truth from the government. She'd spent the better part of seven years trying to get information that rightfully belonged to the public. Instead, she got half answers and more questions. But that didn't mean she accomplished nothing. Even if she didn't solve the mystery of that strange day in 1965, she'd done something else. She'd exposed the government's lack of transparency. Meanwhile, the Sci-Fi Channel put out a two-hour documentary titled The New Roswell, Kecksburg Exposed. But ultimately, it just repackaged the first-hand accounts we'd heard before. The story lacked any new developments. That is, until 2021, when an organization called The Black Vault reinvigorated the case. A clearinghouse for declassified documents, the Black Vault filed another Freedom of Information Act request. This time, they requested all the records related to Leslie's case. If NASA didn't have the original documentation about Kecksburg, Black Vault believed that maybe the files related to the first lawsuit could spark a fresh investigation. Unfortunately, in what is a constant theme in this story, NASA had destroyed many of those files during a, quote, 
routine cleaning out of old records. Still, the Black Vault managed to get their hands on 220 pages of remaining documents. Some of these were specific to Leslie's lawsuit, while others were more focused on the Air Force's Project Moondust. Project Moondust was a code name for a U.S. operation to recover any space object that had crashed into Earth. That's the official line, at least. But some people believe that the project also studied UFO phenomena. The documents that the Black Vault received about Project Moondust didn't prove that claim. But they did offer fascinating insight into the government's attitude during the 1960s space race. At the time, the State Department went to great lengths to collect every unknown space fragment they could find. That's because any outer orbit debris could be part of some other country's space program, and the chance to examine the enemy's work could give the U.S. a leg up. From the files provided, that seemed to be the implication for Kecksburg. Something crashed there, and the military picked it up for research. But ultimately, it was nothing of note. Of course, the mystery continues because the documents that would definitively prove that theory are gone. For that reason, many still fervently believe a UFO landed in Kecksburg in 1965, but we may never know for sure. That is, unless people keep questioning. Maybe one day NASA will find those supposedly lost files, and then they could finally answer once and for all what the mysterious object was, where it went, and where exactly it came from. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back next time with a new episode. For more information on the Kecksburg UFO incident, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Kecksburg UFO incident by George Dudding extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Allie Wicker is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Alex Burns, edited by Wendelin Zabroso and Alex Garland, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Josephine Cahew, recorded by Freddie Rivera, produced by Bruce Katovich, and sound designed by Anthony Valsic. Our hosts are Richard Rossner and me, Molly Brandenburg. Hi, it's Carter and Molly from Conspiracy Theories. This February, join us for two standout specials. First, celebrate Super Bowl Sunday with a two-parter on one of the most dominant and dubious teams in history, the New England Patriots. Then, a two-part Valentine's special on the mysterious murder of Charles Walton. Journey back with us nearly 80 years 
as we comb through the details and rumors surrounding his death, pitchfork, witchcraft, and all. Catch new episodes of Conspiracy Theories every Monday and Wednesday. Follow and listen for free only on Spotify.